This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. They found me! They found me! Doc, Doc, who found you? Great Scott! The Hammer Fanboys! The Hammer Fanboys? Lindsay, there's no time! We have to go back! Go back where, Doc? Back to the beginning, Lindsay! And put an end to this Hammer nonsense! Back when, Doc? Back to the blacksmith! Hold on to your gigawatts! Our Blast from the Past interview with blacksmith Al Kindle. This week on the podcast, we have a very special guest, blacksmith Captain Al Kindle. Welcome to the show, Al. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me. We are so happy to, to have you here on the show. Blacksmith is one of the most recognizable and popular BattleBots, and getting the opportunity to sit down with you for the next 30 minutes to kind of learn more about your story is, is something we've really been looking forward to. I, I'm interested in going all the way back to your beginnings with combat robotics. Can you tell us your earliest memories of, of combat robotics, like back in the, the mid-'90s? Sure. It was sometime in 1994, I had seen a television program on Discovery Channel, ironically. It was called The Next Step, and they would do random segments on events and different technology-related things. And one of their segments they did that year was Robot Wars in San Francisco, about this guy named Mark Thorpe and this event that he was running. And some of the early competitors were the master, you know, built by Mark Satrakian. And I thought that was the coolest thing I had ever seen, that people were getting together and fighting these radio-controlled vehicles. Me and my friend John, who's actually still currently my teammate, we have been involved with RC racing for quite a while, dirt oval and off-road buggy and that sort of thing. So that was kind of where we came from. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I got to do this. And so in 1995, we all piled in a old mail truck, believe it or not, some kind of 70s horrible AMC Jeep mail truck that could barely get out of its own way. And me and my two friends drove to San Francisco and we competed with Dawn Patrol. And that was my first ever combat robot. And that was our first event. I'm uh, I'm I'm so curious. So like back in 1994, you obviously didn't have the internet. You didn't have like kind of build videos to to read, like build diaries. How did you figure out how to how to build your first robot? That was one of the things back then that, in a way, I think those first two or three Robot Wars events, in many some ways, were better than what we're doing now because you're exactly right. Nobody knew what would work. Nobody knew what would win. You know, when you heard the word combat robot, it was like. You didn't have uh, Bite Force as a frame reference or Tombstone. There was nothing. It was like, well, what am I going to do? And the first thing that pops in your head are the terrible ideas like chainsaws and saw blades. <laughs> and, you know, Dawn, Dawn Patrol was a lawnmower engine and three saw blades and kitty car gearboxes. I had no spares because, you know, why would you? 
and it was a pretty terrible bot, but it was a lot of fun. I mean, the event was awesome. It was just, it was, it was a great event to be, to be there, the witness. And luckily there's some videos out there on YouTube where, cause it didn't get a lot of coverage really. And it's not like you can go somewhere and rent the DVDs or something. So, I mean, it is out there though, but it's kind of, there's not much. So back in 1995, you had just graduated high school. Is that correct? So like you're a teenager driving across country in a rickety mail mail truck, you know, like it just seems like such a big adventure, you know, like had, had you ever been to California before? Like, you know, can you talk about, about that, that experience driving out? No, I th- I don't think any of us had, had been to California. And honestly, I hadn't been too much out of the state up to that point. And <laughs> we, we all graduated in 91 and my two friends had just gotten over there and come in. It was a summer. So I think it was either between college, they were still in courses and uh, I was going to classes locally. So it was, it was in the middle of the summer. So it's the only reason that we were able to, because the whole event took two, two and a half weeks because we drove. So it took like a week to get out there. The event wasn't that long. It was like two or three days. Uh, and then another week to drive home. So, yeah, it's not something that you can do now when you're an adult and have real jobs and stuff. So that that was kind of what made it interesting also. The the competition itself, I didn't get to see it myself, although I'm really bummed. I feel like I, I would have had a lot of fun. But, like, what what was it like there in the pits? Like, what was it like competing in the arena? Can you kind of take us through that that experience? The pits, I would kind of likened more to uh, like a modern day NERC event or I would assume some of the other club events would be um, not as much organized chaos as BattleBots is but more of um, and again it's because nobody really knew what they were doing yet so um, it, it was pretty safe the safety was pretty good the arena itself was if you looked at it by today's standards you would it, it was hysterical because <laughs> it, kind, it kind of looked like a hockey rink Right. And it had like the plexiglass or Lexan that went up about six feet or so. And that was it. There was no roof, no, no ceiling, nothing on top. And I believe, and I know the first season they handed out safety glasses to the audience. I don't even remember that for the second one, but I think that's because the first year they didn't even have the plexiglass up top. Wow. So, and, and I don't know if you remember, there was, Blendo was there, which was built by Jamie from um, Mythbusters. Yeah. That's right. So I, I have memories of Jamie before anybody knew who Jamie was. And basically, Blendo was a, a ICE shell spinner that was obscenely powerful for the time. Like, no, there was nothing else like that. And basically, halfway through, they kind of asked him to not compete because he was throwing stuff too far and hard. <gasps> Somebody was going to die. And there was also another bot called the Mulcher that they wouldn't even let start that not many people know about. It was like a lawnmower kicked up at a 45-degree angle. So they were, literally, it was a lawnmower, the bottom of a lawnmower <laughs> built into this weird frame. And there's a video of that somewhere, too, <laughs> doing a little demo and cutting up some foam. So it was it was a learning curve because, again, nobody the, the event runners didn't know what would show up. And, you know, some people were a little ahead of the curve with, with dangerous stuff. And but most stuff was, you know, mine Dawn patrol. I had the lawnmower engine on it. I no radio control on the throttle. So it was a pull start. So I pull started it, cranked the throttle, and ran. Wow! <laughs> and yeah, it was it was it was fun. And Jamie starting Blendo, he'd be in the he was in the arena with standing on a two by four with an electric drill, 
starting <laughs> the top of Glendale. And same thing. When that started, it would shake a little bit. He'd grab the two by four and run. And so, yeah, it was it was fun. Now, I, oh, I, I, I remember reading that there was like this giant um, like wrecking ball, like a pendulum that was swinging inside of the uh, the arena. Is, is that right? Yeah, they had like a bowling ball that would swing back and forth in the middle. And there was uh, powered pneumatic flippers, like big flippers that would knock you around. And there were these nets that kind of came out that they were flat, but they kind of looked like a hockey net almost. They would kind of come down on you and trap you and stuff like that. So there was arena hazards. They weren't anything like the BattleBots hazards would eventually become in the Comedy Central days. But, you know, there was something there. Now, how many times did you make the, the trip out to California in those, those early Robot Wars years? Twice. I did 95 was our first, and um, 96 I went out there with Enforcer, which was a smaller light featherweight at the time, which was 60 pounds, I think. Mm. I'm not even sure. The first year was 85 pounds, Dawn Patrol, which was middleweight at the time. I think heavyweight at the time was only... 120 pounds so the classes were a little bit different then yeah now between the two robots you know you came back you redesigned it you know um did you bring back like a lot of ideas from that 95 event that you put into your 96 bot enforcer uh first thing you learn is it had to be invertible or able to self-write and that's something that i think is basic basic stuff today um and that had my second fight ever was against Law Machine. And that was, as you know, that, that was Greg and Trey. Yeah. Right. So I've, I've, you know, I go back to with Greg and Trey since 1995. So. Yeah. Yeah, they beat me in like eight seconds because they just <laughs> kind of shoved me up on my side. And I was like, oh, yeah, that ain't going to work. You have to be able to flip yourself over or run upside down. And the, the first enforcer in 96 could run upside down. So. Was uh was it difficult uh, cleaning all of the Pam off of your robot? <laughs> uh, no, I had my own oil shooting out everywhere, so it, was, uh, <laughs> it just yeah, blended right in. <laughs> yeah, there's a part in the uh, we did a rumble, which was pretty fun, and at one point, the, I think it was the net came down and it pulled my oil cap out. You could see oil just shooting out of the top. <laughs> That's but, awesome. So. After the 96 event, you know, come back home, like, what, what's, what's the next robot that you build after that? I mean, coming out to California, kind of, like, difficult to, to do, you know, like, on a regular basis. Can, can you talk us through uh, what, what you built next? I started working on a new version of Enforcer for whatever robot wars I was going to hit next. Um, I skipped 97 just for whatever reason. I just didn't get the bot done. And then I was getting ready for 98, and that's when all that nonsense went down with the lawsuit and Plot Nikki and Profile Records and yeah, and all that kind of killed killed that for a couple of years. Yeah. But and that robot just kind of sat in the basement for until 2000 when BattleBots hit again, or hit for the first time rather, and so we went with Enforcer in 2000 in Las Vegas, which was season two at the time of the Comedy Central era. So that was our first BattleBots event. Awesome. Was was that event very different from your experience in 95 and 96? Was it was it bigger? Was it, you know, like it's on TV and you know, the, the whole thing? You know, can you talk about the, the differences like over those four years? 
oh yeah, that was it was a different world because it was TV. It was back then. It was still a, an open tournament. Basically, you had to apply, pay an entry fee, and and you went. And it was a different format than it is now. Where we, and obviously we didn't even make the TV rounds. We we won one match, but we lost our second. And the way it worked back there, you had to get like two or three rounds in before it was really filmed for TV. Mm-hmm. So, but they let the way I usually describe it is back then it was a bot event filmed for TV, whereas now it's more of a TV show about a bot event. Right. And so, I, I think it's a better show now. Don't get me wrong. And I think when I went in, in back in two thousand, I believe there was. 200, 250 bots already. And then the next couple seasons, there was, they got up to around three, 400, I believe. We only went for the, that one season back then because it was just, you know, it was cost prohibitive for, you know, at the time, my age, what I was doing. I just, I didn't have a lot of resources at the time. So, you know, it just kind of let that one go for a couple of years and. Yeah. Now, in 2000, a bunch of people on the East Coast also formed the Northeast Robotics Club. Can you tell us about that club? Like, when, when did you get involved in it and kind of like what were some of the, the early goals for, for, the, for the club like back almost 20 years ago? Or I guess, yes, 20 years ago? Yeah, it, it's, it's crazy when you think about where we are and how old I am. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the first... What I consider the first NERC event, it really wasn't a NERC event yet. It was in October of, was it in October? It was in September or October of 2000. So it was actually right before we went out to BattleBots. It was um, Andrew Lindsay. He had put on a little, it was a little 12-pound event, a little arena that was uh, four by four or eight by eight foot. It was an eight foot arena, quarter inch Lexan, no top. So it's, it's already hysterical. <laughs> and we were in this um, convention or like a, almost like what you think of like a Dragon Con kind of thing, mm, like a yeah. real early version. Back then there was people in costume. I remember there was a guy dressed like Starbuck and I was like, what the hell is all this? And we had a bot with a flamethrower on it. It was a, basically just a butane torch strapped to the top of a RC car. <laughs> awesome. At, at, one point we, yeah, at one point we had a fire and people are coming in there's like a wedding in the next room and i'm like oh my god (laughs) and um but it was a lot of fun again because we had all this weird stuff nobody knew we were still kind of we didn't know what we're gonna win we didn't care everybody was just having fun i had a i had the first tyrant with a chainsaw on it that was totally ineffective but it was a lot of fun there was a walking robot at that one failing wow it was really cool it was a big it was a shuffler so it's 24 pounds and it, it it made this racket when it ran across the plywood and it was wow. just great. It, yeah. And there's, that's online too. That's uh, I got that stuff posted on my YouTube. So if you ever want to check that out now, awesome. yeah. So what, 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 what was, what was the, the thinking behind building an, an East coast robotics club? I mean, was it to put on events so that local builders didn't have to drive cross country to, to compete in California every single year? Exactly. And, at that event, that's where I met at the time. It was James Gokey, John Pagano. Um, Ed came on a little bit later, and we were kind of like the founding members. And we said, like, all right, you know, and Andrew, he didn't really want to take it too far, and he's the smartest one of the group because he started this and then stepped away. <laughs> <laughs> and 
the, the next year at that same show, we had, it was actually NERC at the time already, and we had our actual enclosed steel arena, fully enclosed. That's when bots like 911 came around, and uh, I think even Fuzzy had Mini Mauler there. Um, we also started running the events at the hobby show, so... And it just kind of rolled from there. And then we built the big arena because we wanted to run 30-pound bots. And at the time, we just had this group of people in this area, for whatever reason, seemed to be a hotbed of idiots who wanted to do this. And we all just kind (laughs) of pulled our money together. And we, we, you know, as we ran a couple events, had some money, we built a new arena. And that's kind of what we've done over the 20 years almost now. We we just kind of, we live within our means. We... You know, we don't try to go above 30 pounds because that that has proven to be the bubble of being cost prohibitive for a local, small local event. Yeah, we we both went to Franklin and Motorama in the past year, and both of them were such great events. Um, Motorama, obviously, uh, just two weeks ago, where we got to see blacksmith there in the arena that was so cool people coming by like taking photos of it like seeing like the leds like inside of the bot was really really cool yeah um you know motorama is just such such a great event like uh, i i'm curious like how much work goes into putting on an event like motorama like how how many volunteers does it take you know can you kind of talk us through the the logistics of of an event that size it takes a good, we have a good core group of dedicated people, and we've always had, we've always kind of been lucky with that. When some people have to take a step back, and honestly, I the last couple of years since BattleBots, it's that's occupied so much of my time that I've kind of taken a step back. But we have other great people, like you know Ed and Beth. They run the events. There'd be no Nurk without them. You know they organize a lot. They actually run the brackets. Uh, we have Earl, where the arena is actually stored on Earl's farm in South Jersey. And oh, wow. We've always been lucky. At one point, the arena was up in Massachusetts. And the Bensons, because they, they also had a farm. It's, we, we seem to be have, we have a lot of luck with farm people <laughs> and who can store the arena. But some, something they had some life changes, and they were like, oh, we, we can't keep the arena here. And so we bought a trailer for it, and now it lives on a trailer. And now, luckily, the trailer lives on... You know, Earl's farm. So, you know, without Earl and Ed, you know, there could be no Motorama. Um, and we all get together sometimes if the arena needs maintenance. It's um, It's been pretty good for the most part. We just change Lexan every now and then. But, yeah, that's just the way it's always been. And we've been very fortunate to have members. And at, at the events, the members are very good with helping assemble the arena and tear it down. So that's never been a problem. Um, Franklin Institute's a little different. They actually have their own arena. Sort of. Yeah, if you were there, you, you notice that that's not the same arena. Um, it's also why we only run sportsmen's there, because the 30 pounds pretty much outgrew their box. <clears throat> and they didn't really want to put any money into upgrading. So that's. I was there with for the last full combat 30 event, and uh, it did get a little hairy there. It got a little hairy. Yeah, thanks, Kyle. <laughs> no, not, uh, Kyle uh, from my teammate Kyle Crypto was just throwing. I think he almost threw Charles's bot like right through the wall. It was uh, it was Jameson goes front wedge on Megatron. Okay. Okay. And he ripped it off and flung it through the the top panel. So oh, the top right. panel popped. It didn't come off, but it popped up. And uh, everybody was who was around the box watching the fights 
walked about four steps back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's um, yeah, and that's the point. We did some and we did some work on the Moto Arena, and that now has extra Lexan hanging inside, and um, we instituted the tip speed because, it, and it's just crazy how much thirty-pound bots started to overpower the arena. Yeah, and, and then you start thinking about. 250-pound versions of those, and it's amazing. Speaking of big Ripto, uh, just as a as a fan of the Franklin Institute fights and uh, Kyle Singer's work uh, in general, if you ever field a second bot at BattleBots, could you would you consider a giant big Ripto, a bigger absolutely. Ripto? Uh, absolutely. If <laughs> um, yeah, if we were to be that nuts and wanted the two bots, one of them would. <laughs> Yeah, the other one would definitely be a spinner. It would be a drum or a vertical of some sort or most likely a big ripto. Um, you know, we've talked about that a lot. What would we do if we weren't doing the hammer and pretty much anything but a hammer? It's the worst choice you could possibly make. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and uh, Kyle's talked about doing a big ripto of his own, applying on his own. I don't think he's doing done that this year, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if in the future you see a, Ripto XL of some sort. Wow. That would be cool. That would be cool. So that's actually a, a good segue to get into talking about Blacksmith, uh, which is hands down one of the most recognizable and popular robots at BattleBots. Um, and so obviously it's known for two things, being incredibly tough and for its very uh, cinematic flaming hammer, which I love. So we have a, a listener question from Robert on Facebook who asks, I'm sure this has been asked before, but what inspired you to come up with a bot design that screams out, I'm going to make a bot with a hammer that shoots fire? We sat down and said, what's the worst thing we could possibly do? <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, basically, what happened was the same thing like when I saw Robot Wars on TV. I was totally blindsided that BattleBots was back, and all of a sudden teams were announcing they were going, and... Charles was one of them, and I'm like, dude, you didn't even tell me. So as soon as I saw that, I was like, I know we had to, I was like, I knew we were going to go, we were going to apply next season because it, it, we had to. But we were concerned that since it's on TV, it was ABC, there's an application process now. We were very concerned about getting accepted at all because we were like, you know, we're a bunch of ugly dudes from New Jersey, and, you know, why are they going to accept us? We have to do something a little different. And so I was like, all right, well, let's, let's do a hammer because people don't do hammers because they're actually a pain in the ass. I had experience with smaller versions, and my 30 was finally to the point where it was working fairly well. And we knew we wanted fire because they like fire is good for TV. And I was like, you know, that'll give us a little, a little edge maybe in the application process. And all of my teammates in separate conversations said, let's put it in the hammerhead. And my response to everyone was like, you're crazy. I was like, how the hell are we going to make fire come out of a hammer that's swinging? So whatever, we put that in the application. It was in the render. And at whatever point it was, I, I, I got the phone call, and it was Greg. And the only question he asked me was, is it really going to shoot fire from the hammerhead? <laughs> and at the time, and, and I lied, and I said, yes. <laughs> I didn't think we could do it. I thought I was lying to him. I said, yes. He said, okay. And that was it. That's the only question he asked me about the bot. There was wow. no other discussion about whether we were in or not. And it was, that was it. That's what got us in. So I hung up with Greg and I called Alan and I said, now we got to build this thing. 
And I said, now you got to figure out how to make the fire shoot out of the hammerhead. And he said, don't worry, we'll do it. And he did. And making the fire work is all Alan. He's a genius. And I still barely understand how it works. There's, there's an off, there's a lot involved because you got electrical running up the hammer arm. You got the plumbing for the propane. You got igniters in the head. And it's in the item that you're throwing into the other bot's weapon. Right. So, <laughs> there, there was no good idea about any of this. <laughs> and, but by Rev 3, it was 100% reliable. And that, that's, that's awesome because it was something we no longer had to worry about. At season season one and season two, like it was Alan's full time job was keeping that fire almost working. First season it barely worked. Mm. Um, it worked in that rumble, and then after that we had nothing but problems with it. But season two was pretty good, but he had to rebuild the arm every match. And by this last season, it was it was actually pretty reliable, and it didn't give us much trouble at all. It's been so reliable that I've I never really had to stop and question like how it works. Which I think is a true testament to it. I've never had to sit there and be like, wait, this seems like an incredible engineering feat. Like, how do they actually make it happen? Because it just works, which is, um, which is really cool. But I, I can only imagine, like, the sophistication that has to go into it to actually make it do what, what you know, we've come to know that it does. It's one of those things that when you know, we first started thinking about it, and then when you started doing some tests... It's shockingly not easy to make fire with a flammable gas. And you're like, why is this so hard? I go out and, <laughs> you know, you press a button, you light your grill, but it's, it's very finicky with the fuel and the air. And then you add in, like I said, you're, you're, it's in the spot that you're throwing at the other bot. Yeah, it's and swinging. All of that comes together, and there's a lot of things that, you know, I talk about the basics sometimes. It's valves, it's propane, it's an ignition system. But that's as far as I'm going to go because Alan put so much work into it that it wouldn't be fair to share a lot of the secrets that we have. And there is a, there are a few that everybody knows, and there's some that we will never share. Wow. Wow. Oh, man, now the, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the like thing I that – it, it's, it's, You look at the other flamethrowers, and you know we're very proud of the fact that I feel ours is the most reliable of all of them. Yeah, the, the thing that bends my brain is is how you're able to run the wire that's also swinging, you know, like how that doesn't doesn't like cut off the, the wire or like crimp it, like how, how that wire is able to have kind of like that full range of motion, especially as the hammer head is coming down. Yeah, that's 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 kind of like for, for me the, the most mysterious thing about 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 the bot. But uh, seems like that is a it's a trade secret, which I totally respect. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just think about taking a big lighter and like trying to light it while I'm swinging my arm and right. thinking like, you know, that would never work, not in a million years. So yeah, that's really what you're dealing with too, and it's and the air, the air fuel mixture is is very important. So obviously, when you're throwing that through the air, you're, you're changing that at the same time. Right. So it, it like it's, it did take a lot, and the magic part that made it all finally come together perfectly is something that's so simple you would never believe it. But I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. All right. So Al, in its past 14 fights, Blacksmith has been knocked out only two times: in 2016 by Bronco, and last year by Witch Doctor. 
Both of those were ridiculously fun fights. So this might also be a trade secret, but how on earth did you make Blacksmith so durable in all of its iterations? It's no one thing, but what I will say is it's more of a combination of all the little things. It's not so much, well, it's, it is all made from AR-500. But if you look at the holes that Rotator and Witch Doctor put in AR-500, that really means nothing if you're not using it properly. It's little things like connections, taping all your connections, how you have your wires routed so they're not going to get hit. Um, one of the new things we actually learned this season that we have to address for the next revision is shrapnel from both our own armor and from the weapon discs of the other bots coming through the frame, shotgunning electronics inside is a new problem we had. It was like it created like a shotgun effect inside the bot, and that's actually what caused our battery fire in the last fight with Witch Doctor. They hit us on the side. It blew right through. And the point where it blew through was quarter-inch AR-500 because we had a double layer of eighth. Wow. So that's how powerful – that's how – Witch Doctor is an absolute beast this season. Uh, that's the hardest that Blacksmith ever got hit. And it blew right through the armor belt on the bottom, which was quarter-inch, and it threw some shrapnel into our battery box inside, which was also AR-500, but it had um, spaces cut into it, the holes cut into it for uh, for weight purposes. We never thought about armoring the battery box inside of our armor. Right. <laughs> but now that's become a thing. Now we're going to have to armor the battery box somehow, either putting the full, you know, full AR-500 without holes in it for making it lighter or some other thinner. I think even if we sheeted it with some thin chromoly, probably would have been enough, but basically shrapnel just went right into these soft-sided lipos. And one, once one went, that was it. And But the reason we were able to keep going, I think the outermost pack was on fire. And until they all started to burn and it burned through our main battery harness, that's when we finally stopped. You were so, still getting juice through the system. Oh, that's crazy. Right, because we're running four packs. So even though the outermost one was fully in, on, engulfed until it burned all the way through and melted the harness, that's when I think we finally lost power. So that's why we were able to keep going. It's things like that. It's you, you have as much redundancy as you possibly can built into the bot. You know, how, yeah. much can you, how much can you lose and keep going? Um, and if you ever want to see an awesome example of that, if you ever saw the inside of Duck, um, and while it's not my favorite bot, the design of that bot is incredible as far as compartmentalized. Each system, each drive has its own power source, its own receiver, its own speed controller. It can lose so much. And if you remember in the quantum fight where he was taking bites out of it, they got one or two of those. Yeah. It still keeps fighting because it's still, you know, everything else is still powered. And Blacksmith has some of that. We want to try to incorporate some more of that in the next version. Emulating the redundancy of Hal's bots is definitely uh, not a bad idea. Um, so speaking of AR-500 and Quantum, I wanted to uh, get into that fight just a little bit. That situation seems like a tough call for the refs and the producers. So if you were king of battle bots, which we all know would be an excellent thing for the sport in general, <laughs> what rule would you implement uh, in the case of a crusher bot that just cannot release their opponent at, like in that situation? Well, I think 
it's and just to give uh, some scope to it, that was a situation that had never happened before. And of course, it's it's our luck. I mean, blacksmiths never has it easy. We go out there in our first fight and we have something totally bizarre that's never happened before. And to the to the point of the rules for that season, and I actually haven't looked at them to see if they've changed it. There is nothing in the rules that clearly stated they had to be able to release or they would be disqualified. So there was no rules violated. Um, I would definitely do some sort of rewrite at this at this point because obviously they were unable to release and we were unable to get it. It, it was – I don't know if you heard the story, but we tried to press it out with a hydraulic press and we couldn't press it out. We had to cut the armor around the tooth to – finally get it out with the press it was insane it it basically creates like a a mega like a chinese uh, finger trap and that once that tooth pushed through it it created barbs in the r500 and it was just there was no way to get it out and if you're watching that fight where you have the edit where suddenly blacksmith is free and driving away that's actually about a six hour period wow and Right, yeah, because that, that took place in the first, I think the first session of the event in the morning or afternoon, whatever you want to call it. And so our match was up, and we got we got to the point where we were stuck. They tried to unstick us in the arena with crowbars and stuff. It just wasn't happening. So that was it. They took us out. We went outside. They had to unbolt the tooth from Quantum. We had to unbolt the armor, and we had to go out and, like I said, cut it with a cutoff wheel to finally get the tooth out. Uh, give them their tooth back. We bolt our armor back, and by this time, so much time had elapsed that the first session was over. A very similar Second. situation once happened to me at an Applebee's with a skirt steak. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. It was a very tough steak. Well, I hope they change their rules about it. <laughs> but yeah, so the the second half, the the restart of that match actually happened in the night session that day. So that that match took about six or eight hours to actually complete. Wow. So and that was our first match of the you know, so the the now famous picture of me, that's that's me going, you know, thinking to myself, like this this is how this event's gonna go already. Oh man. <laughs> but yeah, and then so basically and, and you saw what happened again, we got we got into the and the funny thing about that first bite, they probably got us in the only spot where they got that far in and hit nothing. Wow. The second bite got the hammer speed controller. And at that point, you know, Trey came over and I go, what do you want to do? And I said, I said, you know what, Les, let's just call it because this is just going to keep happening. And it's going to take three days and who knows how much money it's going to cost us every time they bite us. So in in retrospect, I should have just called it after the first time and saved everybody a lot of time. But yeah, I mean, it was an unfortunate, weird scenario. And I don't know. I don't, we, I don't know what we would do in the future to combat against that, but it's definitely something we have to plan for. Yeah, everybody does. So, Al, it seems like the uh, the producers often pit uh, Blacksmith up against the most destructive bots in the show uh, just to see what happens. So in the last few seasons, you faced Minotaur twice, Witch Doctor twice, Bite Force, Rotator, Bronco. Um, your first fight about uh, against Minotaur has more than 17 million views on YouTube. Why do you why do you think they keep giving you these really tough matchups? Because they know that we can take it and we'll put on a good show. I think is why they do it. I mean, unless Greg hates me, but 
Um, <laughs> I mean, we kind of we kind of take pride in that. It's you know they know that we're going to go out there and we're not going to be one of those one hit and then the bot spinning in circles and then you know because th- that that's bad for the show. No, nobody wants to see that because a lot of the things one of the things that's different about a TV show is every time the cameras are rolling, that's thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. Right. So the last thing you want is to get in the box and one hit and you have both bots dead or one bot dead that it all, it doesn't give you content. One thing you could almost always count on with blacksmith is you're probably going to get three minutes of good content for the show. And we're not, we're trying, I think at this point where we kind of got over the fact with this season that, for a while, I, I know we were assumed as a gimme. Like, oh, if you fought Blacksmith, you were going to win. I think we've kind of got past that a little bit, where it's not a gimme anymore, and you're going to have to earn it. And we're proud of that. And we don't want to go out there and fight. Uh, I don't even want to name any names because I don't know. We don't want to fight not tough competition. We, we want, because that's not why we're there. It's, it's, if you want to win the nut, eventually you're going to have to fight Paul. You're probably going to have to fight Ray. Um, we fought Rotator, and nobody thought we were going to win that one. I didn't think we were going to win that one, and we did. Yeah. So you never you never know inside the box, and a lot of the ways, one of the best ways, first the first thing to do to win a match is your bot has to keep working, and if you can do that, you're halfway there. I um I want to ask about this uh, very odd sponsor. You're you're the only BattleBots team to uh, be sponsored by Heavy Metal Group, which uh, I guess you know I, I wouldn't really think of like a, a a band as being interested in sponsoring Combat Robot, but it works. You know for 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 Blacksmith. How did that happen? Can can you tell us that that story? Well, Nuclear Blast is a record label. It's um it's a heavy metal record label. They're based in L.A. The people that I deal with, Sal and Gerardo at Nuclear Blast, they actually came out to uh, the taping two seasons ago. They were actually there for the for our main event episode with Minotaur, so they were there for a really great, great show. Uh, the way that happened is very weird and goes back almost 20 years. I used to go to this second Saturday record show, CD show here in New Jersey, and the reason I went was because there was this guy named Dennis and he would deal in weird imported heavy metal that I was into that you couldn't get anywhere else. This again, this is pre pre internet, pre you know everybody can buy anything anywhere. And I don't even know where I found him, but and I became friendly with him. He has his own little record label. He has some small bands on it, and he eventually moved. And I kept in touch with him. And at one point, when I had tried to get Nuclear Blast back in when we first applied, but I couldn't get anyone to respond. You know, who's this guy trying to email? you know, a record label. And I emailed Dennis and I said, Hey, you happen to know anybody at nuclear blast? And he's like, yeah, why? And I told him the story and not 24 hours later, I had an email from Gerardo and we started talking. They loved the idea of the bot and here we are. And they've been the most amazing engaged sponsor that you could possibly have. And it's just, it's, it's funny how these things work out and and, and it's been great. We couldn't do it without them. We couldn't do, I couldn't afford to do this without all of our sponsors, nuclear blast, Klockner metals, providing the, the steel, the era 500. I mean, blacksmith, every event is about $5,000 of just the steel. Wow. So it's, yeah. And heavyweights add up really quickly. 
and we have a habit of breaking a lot of it. So every season you're putting thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars into it. And, but yeah, without our sponsors, we couldn't do this. A uh, related question from Nelly the Ellibot teammate Rara, who asks, how much does your love of rock slash metal influence your design and aesthetics choices with Blacksmith? I think it absolutely shows through with Blacksmith in particular. It's not that we sit down and say, all right, we want the bot to look like this. It's we design the bot the way it needs to be designed around the components and how we want to have it laid out. Um, going back to the durability, we, we design a certain way to have certain components laid out the way they are. And then we try to follow that with like, all right, well, how, how does the bot look now that we've done that? And the latest, the most, the most recent version is a little bit more boxy than the previous one. And we were a little concerned that it wasn't going to look cool enough. But I think once they got the paint job on there and John, my teammate John, who's been with me since day one, he's a graphic artist. He does all the painting, all the, he makes the designs and has all the stickers made and he does an incredible job. The t-shirts, that's why we have the best t-shirts. It's all because of John. And I do think it's a total package though. You have to have that. It, it's again, because it's a TV show, especially you have to have an image. It has to look good as well as perform. And I think Blacksmith does pull that all together, especially with the fire and the heavy metal record label sponsor. It's if you had, if you sat down and said, what would be the most metal bot, a, a bot that shoots fire from a hammer? Yeah. I don't think, I don't think anyone could deny that. I mean, the way it all came together was kind of accidental, but it works. And, you know, and, and we're proud of that too. I think, you know, we have a really, it's a really cool image and, you know, we have a lot of fun with it. Now that image is so popular and so iconic that Hexbugs ended up building a, um, a blacksmith toy. You can purchase it at um, any Target across the country. In um, like, I, I bought the two-pack with Blacksmith and with Bite Force, kind of immortalizing that, that fight that the two of you had. How, how, did, how did the Hexbugs thing happen? Can you talk us through what, what, what it's like seeing your, your combat robot turned into a toy for lots and lots of, of young fans? That's that's great. I mean, and that's one of my joke comments that I, I've been making, but it, it actually kind of, it, it really becomes more and more true as it goes along. I say the blacksmith has a way of winning without winning. We may not win the nut. We may not win a lot of fights, but here we have the hex bug wanted, you know, chose us to make a toy out of, but of all the bots, all the great bots, there's only a handful that have actually had a hex bug made. And that's, that's incredible. And I still can't believe that they picked us for that. And it took a lot. It was probably about a year from the time I first knew about it to the time it was released. They start talking to you. And um, actually, my first contact was through a Facebook um, friend request. And I'm like, who's this guy? I have no idea who this was. And I looked at his profile and I was like, oh, it's a guy from Hexbug. I was like, oh, wouldn't that be cool? So I started chatting with him. And sure enough, that's why he contacted me because he wanted they, they were doing they were doing a Hexbug. And it's actually built off of the, the CAD, the SolidWorks. And so it's, it's accurate. The accuracy is 100% because it's built from the actual CAD of that actual version of Blacksmith. So that's really cool that, I mean, it literally looks like the real one. And for me, at least, I don't think it really hit me until I walked into Target the one day 
and when I saw him on the shelf. And that's that's an amazing feeling. That's something that you poured your heart and soul into, and your team just. And it's something you can say, look, you know, somebody thought we were cool enough to make this, and I, I, it's hard to describe that. It's just we're so proud of that. Yeah, that's so cool. It's an amazing toy, by the way. Like it's the only Hammerbot that Hexbug makes that can self-write. So if you're fighting Bronco, it's the go-to. <laughs> like is, I said, I wish the real weren't that good. <laughs> is there any way to modify it to add fire? <laughs> Not safely. <laughs> I haven't gotten around to that. But, uh, in, in the early design phase when we were chatting, it's like we, we wanted to put a, at least do an LED up oh. in the overhead, but, it, but just the – the logistics of that and the, the it's just it's too small and it would add too much complexity and expense to the toy so that that got squashed early on yeah uh so timothy from facebook asks have you ever thought screw it i'm gonna build a vertical spinner um every time we lose <laughs> <laughs> you know like that that like i said it all goes back to we wanted to do something different at first and, and don't get me wrong. We still believe that we can win with this bot and we're going to keep trying to do that. We, we are not going to scrap blacksmith and show up in 2021 with a drum. Cause that just, that's just not our style. Um, it is what it is. We are blacksmith and I think that's just how we're going to play it. Uh, Nelly, the Ellie bot captain, Sarah Mollian asks, what else is terrible besides hammers? <laughs> Elephants. <laughs> oh. that, was, that was pretty quick. That was quick. All right. We'll follow that one up with <laughs> a question from Joel uh, who asks, what is your favorite thing about millennials? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, that we're getting to the point where we're almost done with them. <laughs> <laughs> We have just a couple more listener questions. These are a bit more serious. Cameron asks, is there one matchup that you would have wanted to have last season that didn't happen? To be honest, we go into every season assuming we're going to get Tombstone first. Yeah. And as of yet, it hasn't happened. I, I do think that match is inevitable. And as horrible as that could be quickly, it's – it's honestly one of the matches that we do look forward to. Um, I feel it has to happen someday. Um, I don't know if we're ready for it. We have plans. Every season we've had a front end that we built basically for Ray. Um, and the one we had this previous season was the best one we had. But after our match with Shredderator, I don't think it would have worked. Um, it had some design flaws. So... I think we might be ready by the next version, as ready as anyone could be to fight Tombstone, though. It's just so much energy that it's really hard to, especially with a bot like ours. I mean, we have a lot of weight tied up in weird things, you know, the hammer and the fire, and it's it's, it's really hard. It's, it's hard to take that hit from Ray. It's, it's just, you look forward to it and you dread it at the same time, I think. Another fan, Jake, asks, what are some of your favorite moments from the last few seasons? Oh, favorite moments or horrible moments? Um, <laughs> honestly, I think one of our, I think one of our best fights that we've ever had was the Sawblaze match. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, that was so good. Yeah. That was that was the moment I think where Blacksmith really finally came together. We had tried some new things. We were trying a new um, new control uh, layout where we were we split up the hammer and drive completely. Up until this season, I had always driven and done the hammer, and Alan has done the fire. We split it up even further this season, where I I did I concentrated solely on driving. I switched to a pistol grip to see how that would work. Alan now does the hammer, and John does the fire system because the flame system itself is three channels. So that's whole a whole other nightmare on its own. So it's Oof. it's it's way too much for for even two people to do. The, the way we have it split up. So we actually have three operators now and one being just for the flame system. Um, but anyway, I think that made a big difference. And I think you could see it in that match. My driving was a little better. I still, I still have a long way to go. We have some drive tweaks we have to make, but JMO is amazing. His aggression is, I've always admired him. Cause I always say that I think of anyone else, he he's one of the few people that can match my intensity when it comes to competing. And, his driving ability and Sawblaze is also one of my favorite bots because it's not just a spinner, it's not just a drum. It, it's you know it, it's it's different. It has more personality. It's like blacksmith in that way, and that that match was also I think inevitable. That match almost happened in season three, but something weird had happened. The match was actually made. We were going to fight Sawblaze, and something happened and. For whatever reason, the schedule got flip-flopped, and that's when we ended up fighting Witch Doctor the first time. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Right, so the Sawblaze match was supposed to happen, so we knew that match was coming because for whatever reason, they wanted that match. And I do think it happened at a great time. I think it's a much better match when it happened than it would have been the season before. I think he would have ran right through the season three blacksmith. Um, <clears throat> but I think this this blacksmith is... it's. I say this every version because it's true. It's the best blacksmith we've ever put in the box. It obviously has, it still needs some improvement, but Sawblaze and Blacksmith are a very interesting match for each other where neither one is really capable of knocking out the other. So as a result, you get three minutes of chaos, you get fire, and I think that's really good TV. Yeah, for sure. And And then you have my emotional stupidity at the end where we thought we had that match won and we didn't and you know I think that that's all excellent TV and yeah I just that was I think that's one of the that's one of the standout matches for us that's you know that's always that and I think the rotator match where I don't we went in expecting to lose I think everybody expected us to lose and we just kind of squeaked that one out somehow and those are all things that I think make for interesting TV as well, where you can't you can't predict what's going to happen in this. Anybody can beat anybody on the right day. And I already forgot which question I'm even answering now. Yeah, some of your, your favorite moments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's good. So that that works. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> by by far, our our the the question that the most number of people asked us. Um, so we've consolidated down into uh, just a single question from a uh, super fan Ike. He really loves Blacksmith a lot. Ike asks, why, Al, why? Tell me why you aren't in the 2020 season of BattleBots. Blacksmith is the most cool and unique robot and gets better every year. So <laughs> what can we tell Ike? <laughs> wow, Ike, um, thank you so much for those 
kind words. I mean, that really does mean a lot to us, to the team. Um, it's, let me say that, for, let me start by saying this. N not one of us on my team wants to not be there this season. Um, it's just that several of the team members, myself included, uh, for pers we have some personal reasons, family reasons that just make it impossible for us to be there, not only be there this season, but to be able to put in the time that's required leading up to the season. Because, um, you know, one of the things that maybe we, we can talk about is while the event itself is about two weeks, a little bit more than two weeks, it, it begins really in November or December with planning, doing CAD, talking, having meetings, buying components. And then once January hits, it becomes, we all work full-time jobs, so we work all week. And then Saturday and Sunday, John and Alan are in my garage, grinding and welding and building. And we're doing that until we leave in end of March. And then we have the event for two weeks. And that's just the event itself is a grind. And then by the time you, then you, you fly home, it's over. And by the time you realize it, it's, it's May. And you, you lift your head up and you realize you've been doing this since December. And you've lost a third or a quarter of your year. And you've been doing that for the last three, four years. Yeah. So it's a lot to ask of my team. And I'm nothing without them. And I refuse to just get different people to go with me. Yeah. It's this is my team. I will not do this without my team as it is right now. Um, they deserve that. And, and secondly, we are not, we are not done. We are not retiring. Blacksmith is not done. We will be back in 2021. And what rendition that will be is still up in the air. If it will be a full new revision, which is already being talked about and designed or a updated version of the current one. And that's going to depend on how much time we're going to have. As I said, some of the personal reasons are people have started new jobs and their availability isn't, isn't what it needs to be for a full on new rev is a lot of work. And that's, that's where we are. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just, it, it happens, but on the plus side, as, as you guys know, from talking to Greg, you have ghost Raptor ice wave, um, these other bots that are, are coming back chomp so that's i think that's great too and you know if a couple bots need to step back for a season other bots come come back in and i think that's good that'll keep it fresh too and well like i said we fully intend to be back and better than ever yeah, the, the really remarkable thing about the sport is that nobody's really making a lot of money with it. I mean, <laughs> I guess maybe Greg and Trey are making a lot of money, but, you know, like there there's more than 100 builders who show up every single year and at very best, the best that they can hope for is that they break even and they don't lose too much money. And when you take a look at how much time and money and energy and thought and just like vacation time that goes into the the show um it really is like a passion project for for most of the builders 
Right, and that's that's all part of it too. Like you mentioned vacation time because it's basically all your vacation time is done in April. So <clears throat> that's a part of it, family time. You know, my teammates have kids, and, you know, for that quarter of a year, they don't remember what their father looks like because they're in my garage every weekend. And um, and the money-wise, yeah, absolutely. That's um, – I don't know how many people have a concept of what it is, but these things get expensive very quickly. And you're right. I would consider breaking even a huge win. Yeah. And – I think we might have finally done that this past season. I'm still working on the math for that. But just to put it into perspective, and I think Blacksmith is probably a mid-range to average cost bot. The This season, you're probably talking between fourteen and $15,000 wow. to have Blacksmith. Wow. That's Blacksmith ready to fight with all the – Bears. Um, luckily, a lot of that comes back in sponsors. But so, yeah, if you have if you don't have good sponsors, at least in my case, my team, um, we could not afford to keep laying out this kind of money. Um, so even to win the event, you know, even Paul, I, I don't think Paul think Paul's really making money doing this. He might he might break even. But uh yeah, there's not a lot of money in it right now, so that's why we need everybody to watch and get their friends to watch. We need if we start getting some huge ratings, then maybe we can uh, we can get some money to spread around. All right, Al. Before uh, we let you go, I have a couple of questions that I'd like to ask you to wrap my head as a metal fan around you, uh, and I'd hope that you'd be able to. Uh, Let's see. Let's ju jump through five quick questions. Do you have time for that? Yeah. All right. Ready? Sure. Blind Guardian or Nightwish? Blind Guardian. Iron Maiden or Judas Priest? Ooh. Now that's getting tougher. Uh, they are going to get tougher. Iron Maiden, and I will add that my first concert ever was Iron Maiden. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> Mine was Michael Bolton, but that's that's for another day. Uh, hey, you know you know what? He's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the quote. Um, Slayer or Metallica? Ooh, old Slayer or old Metallica? Yes. Uh, Metallica. But ride, but only ride the lightning and older. Black Sabbath or Motorhead? Black Sabbath. All right, last one. In sync or Backstreet Boys? <laughs> Menudo. <laughs> yes, the only right answer. <laughs> Al, you had me at Blind Guardian. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, this was. An incredible interview. We really appreciate you giving us uh, so much of your time. No problem. Anytime. Thanks for tuning in. Stay tuned next week where we'll have another blast from the past interview. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>